morning and welcome to your daily game pace. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon. I have a wicked cold today. I'm with Lou Blasi. I have the dog. I am draining. I might throw up. And there's all of it at one topic. I just saw you just put on your game pace right there. <laughs> Why? What do you mean? No, just that was a compliment, by oh, the way. Thank don't, you. Don't get defensive. Five seconds ago before we went on the air, I wasn't in that mood. Right, exactly. Because I can't breathe through my nose. You put your game face on right before in the three seconds in between the transition. Did you see that? Yes. It's like transition. Yep. And first world problems. I was making the bed this morning and I snapped my nail <laughs> like right down to like death level. Yep. And it hurt so bad because my nails obviously, you know, are long. And yeah, so I'm having a day. So what kind of word came out at that point? Um, well, you'd have to probably ask John because John heard me scream. I think it was an F bomb, but I can't remember. Uh, but I was like, because mm, it really hurt. And then I had yep. to cut it and it snapped off and it was really, and it's, it's a real nail. So it's like, uh. yeah. Anyway, that was a lot all in the first yeah. two minutes. Not even. <laughs> Good morning, How Lou. How are like you? That? How was your, how was your long weekend? Did you actually do your shows? Hi, Cameron. Yeah, well, I worked all the weekend, but before that, took a trip to our fa favorite place. Took two or three days there. Oh, yeah. did you go to the place we like? Yes. You? <gasps> you dirty dog. What? You went to our place and didn't tell me? Were you there? You no. There. Okay. <laughs> no one was there, so. Are you kidding? Oh, the places. You know, the town. It's. It was empty? Oh, it was empty, yeah. Oh, I should have gone up. Like rolling up the sidewalks at nine o'clock. Oh my God. John, we should have gone. Hmm. What is John saying? Did I? Oh, oh did he, I'm not did he sure. say I F bombed? Yes. With a lovely commentary. I'm <laughs> talking, uh, oh uh, talking about you, no, Kim. I don't know what he's talking about. Um, did you get, by the way, did you get your feather? John gave you a feather. Yes. What's John, going on with the feather? So I'm supposed to give it to my dog. And let him chew I on know. it. He thinks it's he thinks your dog will play with it. I think your cat will more likely play with it, but I don't know. It came from our yard. It's from a big ass seagull right there. It's not a seagull. It's not a seagull. No. You sure? Yeah, it's a goose feather. Oh, it's a goose feather. Oh god, yeah. It's a goose feather. Tanner will try to hurt it. We have like a hundred geese in our yard. Nice. From babies all the way up through. So I think we have six or seven families. Wow. I know. So you can't go in your backyard, basically. Oh no, we do. Oh yeah. They leave you alone. There's a, only a certain area where they poop. No, I just meant they're they're aggressive birds. Oh no, yeah, no, because they want me to feed them. Oh, I see. So they know I have a red scoop, and they see me coming, and then they hiss at me. And when they hiss at me, I just say, "If you want this food, you will back <laughs> off." And they do. They listen to me. I'm not kidding. I will send video. I'm not kidding. <laughs> wow, John has a lot to say today. Jeez. Yep. Um. Okay. So. Okay, I'm draining. Sorry. Yes. So your weekend was good then, and you were up in my neck of the woods. Yep. I love it. I'm very happy for you. Thanks mm -hmm. for sharing yeah. and telling me that you were there and not inviting me as usual. You know, it's just like everything's last minute. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's just you just don't like to be social. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. So the topic of the show today, I've decided, because it's very important to discuss the fact that we always talk about, well, we talk about lots of things, but we talk about um families and kids and all that stuff but i want to talk about the underlying reason why people suffer okay right Th there's and an underlying reason yes okay S yes what do you think it is it's childhood 
I could say so many things, yeah. but remember, I have to write that book and I can't till they're dead. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, well, so take away the childhood thing for a second, because yes, that's connected, yep. but there's, there's a, okay. So think adulting right now. You're in adulthood and yes. we're thinking about like our work life, our family life, our, our sport life, say if mm -hmm. we're, you know, an athlete, whatever suffering internal to ourselves doesn't come from externals, which we talk about a lot. Right. It comes, it comes from the power of our thoughts and the lack of control that we think we have over our thoughts. And it comes down to suffering really equals our expectations and how we have expectations for things and we get disappointed. Therefore we suffer because we sit in our expectations and they don't turn out the way we want them to. So interestingly enough, I, I think um, a few years ago, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I had a colleague slash therapist person and, and tell me um, that, you know, people should just, you know, change their expectations. And it was a situation where they should um, change their expectations and essentially was saying the tolerate bad behavior from another person which I disagreed with. And we had a long discussion about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's not about lowering your expectations to lower a standard around an expectation that you have of others to be respectful or loving or kind. This is a self expectation that we suffer because we have these expectations in ourselves that make us feel anxious or make us feel um, mm -hmm. less than because we, we put out in the world that we hope for something bigger, better, or whatever. And so that's where a lot of the depression and uh, suicidal ideation and anxiety and all these things come from with people who, you know, who see me, but also out in the world who aren't seeing anyone, that people who have, you know, diagnosed ADHD that don't do anything about it, or people who have bipolar, who are, you know, in manic states. I mean, people are suffering, but they don't do anything with it because they're doing things with their thoughts that, you know, right. they're running around with expectations of how things should be. And when your mind isn't in the right state or in the corrected state, uh, whether you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy to work on the, the thought change that makes your feeling different, that makes your behavior different, or you're having medication on board or whatever it is, if you're not doing things to really be aware of your thought process, how to change your thought process, how it impacts your whole functioning. I just missed the C in that word, by the way, because my <laughs> nose got clogged, right? Yeah. Um, impacts your, your whole being. So it's, I think it's really important for people to realize that, you know, day-to-day -day suffering, and, and I use that as a loose term, but suffering is, you know, just that we feel blah, or people have this misnomer about happiness. And then we talked about that a long time yeah. ago on a show that I did about happiness and joy. Like, what is that? It's not an all-day experience. No. Um, but people will sit in their shit, their suffering, all day. Yep. Because they expect that they're supposed to be happy all day. So instead, because they only have moments of happiness, that's not enough because they, they have this ideal that it's supposed to be all the time, that there's an example of how you end up suffering because you expect it should be this way, but it ends up being this way. And therefore you think that the norm is the other thing, but that's actually not the norm. I have that conversation so many times with yep. patients a week about happiness and joy is not a continuum of all day. <laughs> It just doesn't work like that. It's right. moments and it's, and some days it's more and some days it's less. And, and it's also looking for those moments or creating and um, 
making them happen for yourself when when you don't have them in front of you necessarily. But it's also a perception of your environment. The Gita, yes. the Gita talks about um, attachment to desire being yes. leading to suffering. And Cheryl Crow says it's not about uh, having what you want. It's about wanting what you have. Right. And it's it's basically your alignment with what's going on in your life at the time being. And listen, there are outside things that that make things difficult for you. Right. There's no doubt about that. But you largely control your joy outcome with your thought process, with your mindset, with the way you approach things. And so, yeah, exactly. So it's and it's about how comfortable are you sitting in that process? You know, a lot of people are very comfortable, even though it's uncomfortable, which sounds weird. A lot of people really comfort with the discomfort are in comfort with the discomfort that they know. Yeah. Because it's oh, what they, it's their norm. They so, seek it. There's a lot of people that seek this. Right. And so that's that's I guess that would be the question you should first ask yourself. So, you know, we start with awareness. How comfortable are you sitting with your suffering? Right. Yep. I bet people don't ask that. So I so I ask that of my clients a lot. Like, how comfortable are you sitting in this? And I use, you know, sit how you sit in your shit. That's what I always say. You're sitting in your shit. How well, comfortable are you sitting? And people always, always, and it's rare that I'll say always or never. They always say, well, I'm not. And I always point out, but you are. Well, we talk about this all the time. <laughs> it's like the it's like in a vicious cycle, but you are. We talk about this all the time. They give they're willing to give up their responsibility. In other words, this is happening to me. It's not my fault. Right. I, it's, it's not going to get any better. So I want it off my shoulders as my fault. So I don't have to you know worry about that. So everything's external. Right. Things they don't have, things that are happening to them, things that people that are doing to them. It's like, it's not my fault, right? Right. And to that point, yeah. that's where I would retort and say, your thoughts and your expectations shape your emotional responses to your environment mm -hmm. and to life events. And therefore, if your thoughts are negative and your thoughts are pessimistic and your thoughts are whatever, right, that are not in a healthy trajectory, your expectations are also probably aligned with that. And therefore, it's shaping all of your emotional life right. and therefore you know whatever life event is happening it's going to have that that spin to it so um it's like you know it's like people who have uh everyone everyone in a family has gone to college here's you know this is a good example i see a lot everyone's gone to college for the last generation or two you know maybe two sets of of generations and then all of a sudden there's a kid that comes up through and he's expected Mm -hmm. or she's expected to go to college and the kid is suffering. I see it's the college time of year. So I see this a lot. Yep. The kid is suffering because they don't want to go to college, but their family's expectation is to do that. They don't want to disappoint the family and they, or it's a sport thing too. It's like they wanted to play sports all the way through high school, but they don't want to play in college, right. but dad or mom wants them to play in college because they want the scholarship and they, you know, all this stuff. So there's a high expectation placed on this being of, okay. And, and so the person who doesn't want to do it, their thoughts now have to meet the outside expectations when they're in conflict with their own. Mm -hmm. And that creates this terrible, you know, pull on them for um, suffering. Right emotional drain on their their life event because you you know going back to the example of you know here you are like you're coming from a family that um went to college and now you don't want to go so one you know you feel responsible for breaking this chain and people are going to be disappointed in you and 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 maybe some people won't be but by and large people i see there's usually that dynamic going on in the family that you know everybody wants their kid to go to college and 
it's interesting because when I offer out like, well, you know, they can take a gap year, they can travel abroad and do humanitarian work, like giving other options as possibilities. It's interesting how a lot of times, most often it will shift the expectation to be okay enough and acceptable enough that the, the kid, I want to say the child, but the adult child is now out of the vicious loop of the expectation of college, 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 or what, you know, right. whatever that might be. So they're suffering lessons, but not because they have lessened it. It's because the external has lessened the pressure and now the person can let go of that. But it has to really, I teach my clients that they have to be able to do it themselves. What if that doesn't switch? I mean, nine times out of 10, uh, you have people that are in your external life that you will not be able to ever meet their expectations. And that's where the hopeaholic yeah. that I always talk about is, is you're a hopeaholic that this is ever going to change that person or those people or those family members are never going to give you what you are looking for. And that's not pessimistic. It's just the acceptance of eventually you have to realize that if you don't fit your square peg in their round hole, that's, that's not your problem. That's right. theirs. And you have to be able to accept that. But people don't learn that either ever, or they learn it later in life as they get through and realize, wait a second, this is really not a big deal but as in, it was when I was younger. Cause I had to meet and people please and do all these things for someone else. In the example you talked about though, doesn't the kid have to examine his own feelings though? Because I don't want to go to college. Why? Because I have a girlfriend. She's going to a different college. Well, I mean, if right, you have yeah. to look at the circumstances. I don't think I'll make it in college. I'm a little afraid of it. You know, right. that type of thing. You have to examine those because that's sure. what's creating this this stress for you as well. Sure. So if we okay, so okay, so thanks, Lou. Thanks for taking my example and making it more difficult. I was yes. So if you put the externals on it, and so there's say there's outside pressures, right? If we're not looking at just like a pure thing, like I just gave, like if yep. you know there's a there's a job. I I know a couple kids that have jobs that they don't want to leave to yep. go to college because they make good money. And yep. I'm like, that's, a, you know, that's a big decision. But it's like, yeah, but the job is not ever going to give you the same amount of money that you're going to get after you go to college right. or after you do something vocationally or you do some kind of training and something else doesn't mean you have to go to college. That's not the point. But right. or, you know, if you won't go somewhere because you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you don't want to leave or whatever. I mean, you certainly have to look at the extenuating circumstances if there are some. But I was talking more about like just the expectation in within a family that we we all became lawyers, so you're going to be a lawyer. Yeah. We all became doctors, so you're going to be a doctor. That kind of thing is that there's an expectation that even though it might not be yours, it's pressing on you, which makes you suffer because it's like, well, you, did you did you ever have your own identity? Did you have your self purpose? How do you find that? Um, did you see the movie A Man Called Otto? No, I haven't yet. Oh. So I have I can say I have not seen the whole thing. I've watched bits and pieces because I want to see the whole thing, but I heard it was really sad. And then, of course, I avoided it because it had a cat in it. I know you, this is too much information, but I'm going to tell you because I thought the cat died. So I had to explore if the cat died or not. The cat doesn't die. So then I was like, OK, I can watch it. <laughs> So, so instead of watching the whole you thing, had to I, do, you had to investigate the picture I had before to you make, watched Well, yeah, because I don't do the animal death thing while in movies. Yeah. It's no. like, I don't watch Bambi. It's cheap ass. I, I don't, I don't watch Dumbo. Hate it. Hate I don't watch it. Lion yeah. King. Cause it's no, it's too sad. Um, but so a man called Otto, I digress. Okay. So Dumbo. here's Here's a, so here's a great example yeah. of, of what I'm talking about. So it, the movie, hopefully I'm not going to give any spoiler alerts here, but the movie is he loses his wife. 
and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks loses mm -hmm. his wife. And what you realize is that Tom Hanks has been, <clears throat> his character has been fully engrossed with the fact that his expectation and life meaning has been around her yep. and taking care of her and loving her and giving, and, and that's where his purpose and identity was. Yep. So she passes. He, he ends up trying to commit suicide throughout the movie three times unsuccessfully. Well, well, successfully not getting to commit, right? So, and in what he does is through other people and through other externals, he learns to shift his rules and his expectations that of what is expected of himself by internally seeing that by doing not for just one person, but for doing for himself and others, mm -hmm. he's able to shift his thought process to making his life more meaningful without suffering because he lost her. Um, it's a really good example of the suffering metaphor um, in this, in this particular podcast, um, because it's about how you turn and flip it around. And I think it's one of the probably best examples of a movie that even though I've seen mostly all clips where I've seen it really, where I've seen him flip his thought process around, um, Cameron saw it. <laughs> Cameron saw it. Um, probably during class. Pro probably, probably watch it during <laughs> biology. Yeah. Um, but love you, Cameron. Um, but I think that it's important to find examples. If you don't know how to generate it in your own brain, find examples in social media or movies that you can see it, because I think that's a really good example of how to really own your thoughts and expectations and have them shift. Now he had some people come into his life that helped him shift it, that challenged him, that externally yep. drove him to have a, you know, you, you don't have to be so grumpy. You don't have to be so upset. You don't have to be so forlorn and, and terrible. Um, what did he say? I did. I watched an Italian. <laughs> That's nice. And this is why you can't speak Italian, Cameron. That's great. Yep. <laughs> Good thing you're learning Italian to go to Germany in a month. That's awesome. Well, hey. Um, so, so I think that uh, using examples, if you do not know how to generate them, I think that would be a good a good movie to watch in terms of the the internal struggle that people have when it's like this person's in such suffering because they had an expectation that he his expectation was that he was going to predecease her. His expectation was that he wouldn't have to go through the right. loss of her before him. So he, and then it was, you know, a shock to the system, so to speak. It's death of self. And it's so right. Yeah, and yeah. so when it's kind of like when, you know, here's a good question I want you to answer. Is it harder to lose someone that you've known for a long time and is older or someone that you've only known for a short time? And you think a long time, you would think. So no, no people who live longer lives and stay with you for long, you know, they've been with you forever, say since childhood or you, or you're married and you've been together mm -hmm. forever and you're later in life, whatever. Those are easier losses in grieving hmm. than people who just come into your life and only been in your life for X amount of time. Um, because you still long for the, the want for that to continue so yeah. in, when you look at the example even though otto and his wife had been together a long time he always had an expectation in his head that he would predecease her therefore he wouldn't have to suffer and then it flipped on him 
and which happens to so many people, yep. right? Um, you you expect that you're going to um, be, uh, you know, first line in the draft. You expect that you're going to be, uh, you know, get that job that yep. they called you and said, we just have to do the last thing and you're going to get hired. And they call you and say, we didn't hire you. Like the, you get set up for these expectations and they flip on you. Yep. And then you suffer because of it, because you rely on that. And then your thoughts really dictate then what happens. It's like, I wasn't good enough. Um, you know, why wasn't it me? That's where survival guilt comes in with deaths around you. So it's, it's a huge thing because it's, it permeates, I think, everything, sports, family, business, work life, your own self, because people are in a lot of suffering. And I think since the pandemic, and this is why I brought it up is there's so much talk about suffering and people don't talk about it in terms of the word suffering. They just talk about it. I'm so depressed. Right. I'm so unhappy. I'm so miserable. I'm so, you know, all those words, but it comes down to, I'm so out of expectations that I'm so disappointed that I don't know what to do with myself. And so I'm so overwhelmed and it's not going in a good way. <laughs> as, right? as you go on, I'm talking about how that, I'm thinking about how that makes sense. The person you, you've known less because with the person you've known your whole life, for example, you're mourning the loss of things that you have. But with the person that you haven't known, you're mourning the loss of things that were coming, things that you, you that you don't have possession of. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, by the way, first of all, hi Joe, welcome. Um, and Cameron just made an awesome point. Now, I am first of all, kudos to my boy. <laughs> I have to say, because he's super smart, and he just I'm, I almost fell over in the chair. Cameron, I'm like floored. He's just wrote Death of a Salesman. Now, if you haven't read Death of a Salesman, great story, or if you haven't watched it, but Willie, the main character, he yep. suffers from a false vision of what helps a man achieve the American dream. Cameron, wow, good trans transfer over of information. Yeah. But that's exactly, there's so many good examples in literature and like how the human experience of suffering of, of not getting the white picket fence and the two point five children and whatever it is, is, is so much there that, um, and it's the social expectation that gets yep. put on people so many times over and over again, that really debilitates people. Keeping up with the Joneses, yeah. having the car, having the house, having, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like when people haven't, you know, when people haven't had children, there's, here's a, a very common thing that happens. You know, people have decided they haven't had children or they haven't had them yet or whatever it is, especially when it's a female. You know, men don't get asked that question. But when people will say, oh, oh, you don't have any children. It's it's like, well, what are you doing? If you have an expectation <laughs> yeah. that I'm supposed to, then you're going to be disappointed and then you're going to give me a hard time. Yeah. But if you know who that person is, it has chosen not to have them. The expectation is not there. It's there's there is no issue. But it's this social norm thing about oh that's so bad. It must be so sad. There's not going to be anyone there for you in life. There's no legacy to. Uh, there's this huge yeah. thing that comes with the um, <laughs> pressure. <laughs> excuse me of yeah. not having children because the expectation gets put out on people, women. Um, for not having had them or why the choice was. And it's, you know, for a variety of reasons, people yep. don't have children, you know, whether it's a, a just pure choice not to have them or physically they haven't been able to, or they don't want to adopt and they, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But it's a matter of the fact that it's an expectation that's put out there and 
it creates suffering in somebody because it's out there because it's making the person who's commenting. I've, I, I've had a couple of examples where people have like been really verklempt, one of my favorite words, <laughs> about why, why I don't have children. And, yeah. you know, well, first of all, it's none of your business. Yeah. But I, I actually, I can say, I just chose not to have any because I wanted to do my career and I wanted to travel and, I, and that's what I'm doing. Yep. Um, that doesn't mean I don't love them and, you know, yeah. all those things, but it's just a matter of like, but well, I'm okay with that. So if I'm okay with that, why aren't you okay? Yeah, that, that lack of, yeah, that lack of duality where there are perceptions other than yours that are not incorrect, mm. right? Everyone just assumes that their life, their values, the way they see the world is the only correct way to see the world. And that's not true. Right. Well, and there's where the expectation and the should, mm -hmm. you should do this because it's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Well, who said? Yeah. It's kind of like what, you know, well, it's funny. God rest her soul. My grandma, who's my, my yummy person, right. Who was my rock and my resiliency person. She used to be like, so, cause she was old school, obviously. So she'd always be like, now you're going to cook. Right. And you're going <laughs> to, you're going to, you're going to have babies. Right. And I would say no. And she just gets so upset about this. <laughs> and I, and I would say to her, and I remember these conversations, I'd be like, why do you care? Why is it so upsetting to you? It's not you. And she's like, but you're going to be so unhappy. And so I used to joke with her because we had this really funny relationship. I just be like, oh, well, you had a whole bunch of daughters and you weren't thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> and she would look at me and go, well, that's true. But her perception <laughs> and many people's perception is her entire identity in life was about being a parent. Right. That was her yes. whole purpose. So without that, her life would be empty. And that's right. not necessarily everyone's perception. And, and, and well, and you're saying the perception, but I'm going to put that hand in hand in this podcast of the perception and expectation are yeah, on the same, yeah. right? They're paralleling because, yeah. you know, your perception is your thought. And if you think that this is how it should be, it creates such a deep environment of, of sadness or anxiety. All I keep thinking about is how much sadness and anxiety I see in people when they miss the mark of someone else's mark. Yeah. I'm supposed to do this. Yeah. I'm doing it out of obligation. It's like, you know, I'm doing it out of guilt. I'm doing, why, no, why are you okay. doing that? Because yeah. I'm supposed to. Yeah. And it's, it's about, and I, I can say that I I'm interrupting you, but yeah. I can, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's my show and I'll yep. cry if I want to, but, um, and I lost it. Oh, I'm gee, sorry. Lou. It's interesting because as I'm looking the parenting perception or expectations to me, it's a huge part of my life being a parent, but yes. it's, I look at it as a gift, not an expectation. It's like, you know, this, this came to me and it was awesome. It wasn't that I would have been nothing without it. It's just, you know, and I'm a guy, so I get dragged into it. <laughs> well, what do you, well, so say that, say more, like, what do you mean you get dragged into it? Well, you get to a certain point in your life where, you know, and you're married and you get a certain point in your marriage where you're supposed to have kids. Oh yeah. yeah. Right? And, and the woman usually wants kids. And so you just arrive at the point you get there. And it's like, I might've, I might not have chosen that, chosen that point. I might not have been as strong as having kids, but God, it was awesome. And it was a gift, but it wasn't an expert, you know, not an expectation. I'm not putting it on anybody else. Right. I, all I'm saying is, you know, it was pretty good for me. That's all. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, certain in certain scenarios, like having children, for instance, you don't know what it's going to feel like. Oh, and yeah. so a lot of people, especially right now in the generations right now, they're having babies later or not at all more because they don't think about that the expectations different than it used to be. Yeah. When we were coming up through our parents, et cetera, they, it was, you know, 
have ba- get married early, have babies and whatever, but it's now it's, you know, career focus and other things. And if you have a baby, you know, it's, it's very well thought out and planned in many cases, not yep. all, but in many cases, because it's a, it's like sort of a planted moment and it's not always perfectly timed or whatever, but it's, it's a moment that, you know, everyone's talked about and agreed on and yeah. in the family. Or well, I was nervous too. about it because I had no experience with young kids, virtually none. Well, most people don't. I, jo- I joked with my my ex, when we were pregnant with the firstborn, I said, well, when she's six, bring it to me and introduce it to me. But, you know, you know, it was a joke. I, I know. <laughs> but I, the thing was, they handed to me, me to her a couple hours after she was born because she was born overnight. And her mother was asleep and I was done. I was in. You know, I knew nothing about infants, but OK, I'm in. What are you, you need a kidney? What do you need? <laughs> you know? Right. Because it's totally different. It was totally different than what I expected. Yeah. Right. Right. Because once it happens, it's like, okay. Yeah, how am I going to relate to a baby? What, what am I going to do with a baby? And it's just like, couldn't separate us. Because because you had that duality of like what you thought it yeah. would be like versus what it actually was, you know. So that's that's a big part of, yeah. of what I'm talking about is you have an expectation about something and then it's it doesn't match what it should be or supposed to be and then it either surprises you or really disappoints you yep. because they're, they're, it's not matching what actually is happening so it's like i have no i have no idea how to be with a baby i have no idea with an infant what am i going to do and then you have it it's like oh i'm all in yeah now you're matching what's happening versus the fear of it which or yeah. the running away from i don't know anything about this and therefore i I can't do it. And then a couple of days later, the scariest ride of your life where you're driving that baby home. It's like, why are they giving us this kid? We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. but, so, but then you figure out how to, how do you go yeah. through that? Right. So that falls into line, but most people don't end up regretting it. Most people. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, cause I do have people that are like, Ugh. but I, I think. You too- mean like people regret it. Like overall or momentarily, I mean, you're a parent, you run into moments that are just frustrating as all hell, but yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think momentarily, but I, I mean, I certainly can say, cause I've been in practice a long time. I have parents that unfortunately just regret it altogether. Yeah. And it's, and that's a. Well, because, if it didn't happen on their terms. Right. Yeah, and that's what I was just yeah. going to say that it didn't happen. I don't want to say plan, but it didn't happen in the way that they would have wanted it to happen or with the person that they would want it to happen. That's a lot of the times it's like they, you know, they would have rather it been someone else Um, or, you know, or waited longer. I mean, there's these scenarios where people are just like, and, and um, I don't hear this as much anymore, but the expectation of, you know, women particularly of like, I want to be able to have a work life and travel and see things and do things before I bring children in and they have the child before they get to really do all those things. And then they regret it and they live in that. And that's, that's because they, they fall into the social norm expectation of old, I call it the old school of like, well, you, now you can't do those things. I always tell people you take the child with you. You want to travel, you go with them. Yep. You want to do these, you still do it. You don't stop. And people don't, that's a, a brain shift around yep. like, oh, wait a second. I can do that? Yes. Because no one talks about that. It's just like, oh, you have a baby, you're stuck. Yep. That is not true. And especially I have this, I mean, I'm not trying to be gender specific today, but I am because it's more women get stuck in that trap. A lot of I'm stuck now. 
Yep. And it's, no, you're not. You pack them up and you put them on a plane and you go wherever you need to go when you're ready to do it. And you don't hold back and you don't say, oh, now I've got 18 years before I can do all these things. No, that's not true. You want to do that. That's what a wonderful way of educating your children about the world and cultures and foods and people and diversity and language and oh, so many things. Think it's about a, having those experiences to share over a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's, and, and remember, I've said this before, experience means more to people than things. Yep. I mean, some people are very materialistic, whatever, that's fine. But people remember, I, I couldn't tell you probably over the past 10 years, most of the Christmas gifts I've gotten. There's a few that stick out just because they were more sentimental kind of thing. But when we've gone to the Dominican Republic or gone to Cabo for Thanksgiving or Christmas or gone on a cruise, that's what I remember because they yeah. define the moments because the expectation changes. Yeah. There's no gifts. It's not this big thing. It's not something that's just go through it. It met the expectation of the norm. And then we're there. It's like, Oh, we had this experience that we all share together and I'll, I'll value that more. Yep. Right. So it's like, and I think that's, I think that's really common. I think it's good to have kids have those experiences more than, you know, yeah. you know, we'll talk about Christmas for a second, set up a big Christmas tree every year and give 400 gifts and it's over in three or four hours. And then what do you remember? Right. Hmm. Not a lot. And not to mention, which is why I'm protesting Christmas this year. Not to mention that experience with the kid doesn't have to be in Rome. It, it can be, you know, anywhere. Yeah. Just experience is experience. It's, it could be in yeah. the White Mountains. It could be in the White Mountains. It could be. It could be. And and getting COVID over <laughs> New Year's. Getting to COVID, yeah. And seeing alien abduction sites and stuff like that. Well, so it's, well, so it's, exactly. <laughs> well, so it's, I mean, well, she'll probably be listening, but it's, it's sort of funny. So I know someone that, you know, like the experience of being around someone at New Year's this past year, like, well, we're convinced she got roofied. <laughs> <laughs> I think I talked about it, right? Shouldn't laugh at that. Yeah, I know. But yeah. well, I was with her. I did not roofie her, but we were all with her. But yeah. but we will we keep talking about it because it stands out. It will be. I don't know anything else we really did that weekend. But the fact that she got roofied and it was such we we just were talking about it a couple like two weekends ago. We were just like, yeah. remember? And I was and then we went through the whole scenario and I was like. Sounds you like were a staring at me in the bathroom. You're like, let's go here. And then you were all of a sudden like, oh, and she got bright white, you know. So even though it's it's not funny, it is funny because she was safe and whatever. It's but, funny because of the outcome. Not, well, not right. It's not funny because of what happened. Yeah. But it's it's just funny because the expectation we went in with was there was not going to be any suffering. <laughs> and then she suffered yeah. for the whole weekend. Yeah. After that. Ooh. Yeah. It's terrible. Really? Lots of after effects. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm not... So I, I will go away from talking about it because I know she's going to listen. She's going to be like, oh, my God. So one of the keys to me, and I, as you know, I did that Gita podcast for like 250 episodes of this thing yes. going verse, verse by verse through yes. the Gita. And it was fascinating because, again, all these things that we talk about, what you talk about, it's it's given to you in so many modalities. Yes. And all you have to do is find the one that starts to ring for you. Right. That, that really makes sense. And that whole attachment thing, I think, is the problem here about having attachment that your life your happiness is based on a thing or an right. expectation or, or an outcome right and by the way most of the time and this people are going to roll their eyes most of the time when that outcome doesn't happen the way you want it it presents opportunity and that's what you have yeah. to search for right but you have to know like there's almost like a gap 
or a wall that happens for people that they don't know that it presents an opportunity. And that's a mindset. It depends on the type of mindset that you have. Yeah. If you're a forward moving, open-minded, um, looking for opportunity type of person, then it will be there. But, but if you were so attached to that job right. and you didn't get the job, you're going to suffer with that. If you look at it as, okay, so maybe there's another job out there. Maybe I just wasn't meant for this or, you know, not to get philosophical, but there's a good chance that your outcome is going to be as good or better right? because you didn't get that job. If your mindset allows you to make that happen, I help that happen. Right. I just had, so I had this conversation yesterday with a client. He's, he's been in a job. He's 46. He's been in, a, he's been in a high level, like executive high level position makes exceptionally good money. He was let go of that job a year and a half ago. Hmm. He went about six months. He got another job. The job pays a little bit more than he was making, which was a lot. Wow. Yeah. And, but he doesn't like the job. He's not happy in the job, but he's got this, we, oh God, it's so great that we, example we just talked about this yesterday about he has this expectation that he has to stay in this job and he can't jump out of the job to find another job because he's only been there a year and that will look bad and i said to him yesterday i said first of all that's not true right second of all you could be looking and interviewing and when you walk in the door and they say can we contact your current employer you say right now i haven't decided whether or not i'm actually leaving i'm looking for opportunities to have growth and be and he he looked at me like yeah. so confused but then he was like i've never thought of it that way and then he texted me last night saying i found three jobs that i'm going to apply for yeah, yeah but he's but he's been suffering in this job because one his wife is in a position that she makes a lot more. She's a president of a company. Mm -hmm. He's in VP yep. in a company. And so there's stuff going on there for that. But also he doesn't like the actual job, but he'd rather sit in his crap than actually move on it because he didn't think he could because he was meeting the expectation yep. of what was supposed to happen and should happen versus what's really happening. So which he, saw, is, he saw the job as a bad job and he felt stuck when right. actually having the job was an opportunity to look for a better job right. because you have the income, you have support, you have a work right. history. This is a great opportunity to look for, you know, now you have time to, as, as opposed to the, the time before when he's unemployed where you're pressured to take a job. Right. At well, this point, you have the opportunity because you're solid. Just go look for your job. And I think that when people are stuck in these positions, whether it's, you know, like making a decision for an athletic team or a job or a family or whatever, I think like in his case, he's, he gets stuck. Yes. With what you said, but he gets stuck in the, the expectation that what if they don't like me in the job I'm in and they get mad because I'm going to leave. He gets that way. And a lot of people get like that, that what will they think? Like you're not leaving on a bad term. If right. you had, if you got, the, I, and I said this to me, yesterday, I played it all out. I said, if you would, and you got this other job and whatever, you'd come to your HR department and say, I've been offered, not I went seeking and yeah. I got offered this position. It's a growth opportunity for me. I've so loved working here, but I really think yeah. I'm good. And it's so foreign to him because in his mind, it's like, it will, burn his bridges. It will make people upset. So he'd rather, so I said, would you rather sit in the job you're in for five or six more years when you want to retire potentially at 55 and you'd rather sit in this job and retire at 55, never knowing if you've done the other things. And that was a foreign to him to yeah. have that even thought. And he, he, it was like, we shifted this whole box of his mind yesterday around 
you're falling into this expectation of the social norm that you're supposed to stay. It looks bad if you jump jobs. It, it's like, I, I always say now, the pandemic happened. Everything's fair game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because I, people come into me all the time saying like, I'm looking for a job. I applied to 50 places. Nobody's called me back. I'm like, but they all have help wanted signs or they're posting up that they need it. And no one's calling anyone back. Yeah. And I'm watching. It's not like these people are lying to me. I'm watching. Like I've helped people with their resumes. I've helped people with like, you know, troubleshoot stuff. They're applying and then nobody's, or they get the call and say, yes, we'll call you in a week. We're going to hire you and chirp, chirp, nothing. So it's, you know, and then the expectation is, oh, I'm not good enough. Yeah. I'm like, it has nothing to do with you. It's everybody. This yeah. is just a, I call it the pandemic aftermath aftermath yeah. right because it's it's just the aftermath of you know even whole foods whole foods had to sign up right yep. stop and shop signs up and i get kids to go apply and then four or five weeks later they say they get a call that says well we're we have too many people so we're going to hold but they keep the sign up yeah so it's like you're, so the so the world is sending a social message always that we have an opening yep but we're going to turn you down so now I'm warning people like, listen, you're going to apply and you might have to apply 50 times. But it's funny because I was just having this conversation with a bonus starter because she wants to leave the job that she's in because she I don't want to give notice. I said, why? She goes, well, I don't want to hurt them. And it's like, oh, so perfect example. You're 18, right? They're hiring teenagers. The turnover is incredible. It's just business. It's right. just it's OK. Right. If you do it, if you do it, you don't just call and say, I'm not coming in anymore. You offer them the notice, and if they take the notice, fine. If they don't, that's fine, too. But you just do it in a semi-professional way. Everybody's fine. Exactly. You know how many kids they've hired over the course of the years? Exactly. You know, just, this is just the way life goes. Well, I just had this conversation with someone that we have talked to on the show before about he's in a job, and they shorted him, in my opinion, by accident, five hours on his, on his time card. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. He was in such suffering mode. I'll call it suffering mode of like he couldn't, he wasn't going to go back and ask him for the five hours, even though he was so upset <laughs> because he took it personal that somehow they, you yeah. know, it, it was against him. He, they didn't like him. Something I'm like, it happens. You didn't punch in right. You, they missed it. Whatever you, you go back. Oh no, I can't go back. I can't go back because they won't like me. So the expectation <laughs> is not matching there's no continuity between the right. expectation and the reality of what's really happening and i said you go back professionally and say i'm not sure what happened but last week i worked this and here's what my hours were and there were five missing i don't know if that matches with yours and he just kind of looked at me like i can't do that yeah i'm like yes you can and he, he did i'm not sure exactly how he did it but it was a lot of a couple of us as adults cajoling him to do it because it's like, it doesn't matter. You're not going in and saying you screwed me out of money. It's about taking care of yourself and self advocacy that you have an expectation that you did the work, you're going to get paid and not to then go right into personalizing it that right. I didn't get paid because they don't like me or I did something wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. They love you. You're their number one employee. So you go in and you ask, you're not going in to confront, you're going in to be assertive, like, Hey, I don't know what happened, but can you check but, this out? But people, I think it's that all or nothing, you know, black or white thinking, not black or white in terms of race, but black or white, like it's all in or all out. And it's like, I either get it or I don't. And I can't fight in the gray areas at all. I have to just take it and accept it and lay down. That's not life. I think you just hit on one of the key elements of this battle, which is taking everything personally, because that whole self-identity 
is where we get the deepest suffering, the deepest cuts. And the fact is 95% of whatever happens to you is not about you. Right. Right. And coming to that realization, as opposed to there was a big scheme to just show it him five, five hours. No, there wasn't. It wasn't about him. Right. Just exactly. Something happened. It wasn't right. about him at all. So no one's going to be that upset about it. Just it's just again, just life. It's the way it goes. But when you personalize everything, you think it's an attack on you and you're taking that ego hit. Right. That leads to so much suffering. You got to realize how much of what's going on in life is not about you. So now to that point, mm. expectations and this comes looping back to the beginning of the show when you said what you said, expectations come from how we are raised in our environment and that's what shapes our expectations. Mm -hmm. And that is not just parents, but friends, social media, school, coaches, right? It's our environment yeah. zero to six years old that teaches us how to anticipate expectations that are either we, we get set up to have reasonable, rational, realistic, Dr. Kim's three R's, right? right. Um, expectations, or we get set up to have skewed or distorted expectations, which is the majority of people I see. Yep. <laughs> and in pr pretty much in life, I, I mean, you listen, like spend the weekend or spend the next couple of days listening to people out socially, you'll hear the distortion in people's thought process coming out a lot. And until you actually look for it or hear for it, you don't notice it, but it's so specific. Yep. And that, that expectation is all environmentally shaping of us from the beginning. There, Our whole childhood yeah. experience shapes us. There are people who confront everything in life. Yes. Because they think everything in life is confronting them. Right. And it's like, it, that's a tough mindset to live in because well, it's always combative. It's yes, it's it's it, and it's it's fight or flight, fight or flight, flight yeah. and blah, 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 say that five times fast. These, the, these are the people who love conflict, who search right. for conflict because it's all they know. It's right. the devil they know, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that um oh, I had so many things in my head. I just yeah. like they just flew out. Keep going what you were saying. But you see these people who invite conflict all the time, yes. who confront everything all the time. And I'm at the point in my life where I just want peace. So it's like if if this isn't cutting me right now, I don't need to deal this with it. This is why you don't have a social life and invite me up to Nahum. <laughs> I don't know about that. But this is. This I don't is know how you tied that together, but. Well, you know, I just had to throw that in there for yeah. you. Um, <laughs> the so okay, so going back to that, yes. So I, I'm. I have to be careful. I itch my head before I say it. <laughs> You know, I'm filtering. Come on. I know, now. I know, I know. I can you see can the wheels see turning. <laughs> you can see it in my head how I'm yeah. going to say it. When you are raised in an environment where there's do as I say, not as I do, which yeah. is authoritarian parenting, which is like that military style, right. which is really high in expectation, very low in warmth. Yep. One of the worst parenting styles you can do. Right. So high expectation. That's like the number one piece. And the second piece that goes with it hand in hand is low praise, low, like pad of boys. Right. right? Yep. Um, so when you're raised in that environment, you are raised essentially in combat mode, mm -hmm. literally. Yep. And I think that um, it goes so much to so many people in life that you don't have to have both parents be like that. But if you have one, and that's given you the messages around you in your environment a lot, you will become incredibly defensive, incredibly 
people pleasing because mm -hmm. you are, you'll become codependent. This is where a lot of addiction comes out of um, addiction to relationships, addiction to attachment, mm -hmm. addiction to abandonment, because you don't know how to function on your own thinking. It's the other person, you know, it's your parents think it, here goes. It's not the parents fault, but it is in this case, because they're setting you up that yeah. they, you, you must think how they think or else there's a problem. If you don't think that way, then you're going to get berated, belittled, all these things, because it comes out of that militant style that you're digressing from the norm of what's expected of you yeah. within that family dynamic of you're not meeting our expectation. So therefore you're not going to get any praise. And even when you do meet the expectation, you're not going to get any praise or you're going to get very little. And it's interesting because those types of parents will absently, when the kid isn't there, they will give tons of praise to the kid, to other people to impress them, yep. but never give it to the kid. So the kid is always, the kid is getting an inner wound from the parents who have inner wounds as children yep. and they're recapitulating it. And then what ends up to that child is that they're taking care of the parent who is yep. in that state of constant like expectation that always gets disappointed if the child descends. So when you come to the, you know, the puberty stages and kids start to separate and individuate and have their own ideas and all that stuff, oftentimes you hear kids met from their parents with those aren't your ideas. Those aren't your feelings. You're hearing it from someone else. I'm not letting you hang out with, you know, Susie or Bobby because yep. that's not your thought. That's theirs. It's like, because they can't, the parent internally cannot manage the their expectation yeah. getting moved. And they can't let the crab crawl out of the bucket. Right. Gonna pull as, them back as in. we said last week. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very, it's a vicious and it's very vicious and very insidious. And you don't just see this in families. You see this like happen in, in systems like school systems with, you know, classrooms, you see this happen in sports yeah. like so much. Yeah. Right. Um, because there's that people pleasing piece, especially if a per, you know, if you've got a team of people, there's more than likely not a whole bunch of people on the team that have this issue. They want to, uh, you know, Im impress somebody. Yep. Um, that's more often than not with my, even my elite and Olympic level athletes, they're not worried about they're They'll tell me, that they're worried about how this failure or this lack of score or this fall or whatever will make their, their whole life fall apart because they feel that way. Right. But eventually when we get down to it, it's either the coach or the parent or yeah. somebody that's really their expectation that's beyond them that they can't control for. They're trying to control for. So I have a runner right now that's, that's doing um, I think spectacular and she is so up in her head a lot of the times about her coach that she will tap out of races sometimes because it will be right at the end. And if she's not like in the top two or top three, she'll like go into a panic attack mode, can't breathe and has to stop. Hmm. But if she's in the top two, it's never a problem. But it's, so not it's about a psychological her. thing. It's not about her performance desire. It's pleasing right. the coach. <laughs> right. So yeah. we're working on that. Right. Yeah. But that's so people don't realize it because this is a common question I get is like, what do you do with sports psych? Is like, there are these people crazy or <laughs> no, it's it's a lot of dynamics that are like familial driven. It's like the relational attachment, dependency, judgment, warmth, love, all these things that come, but aren't coming because they're not meeting the expectation or they fear that they will fail the expectation that the person outside of them has. And you can't control for that. And that's missing for me. That's missing the biggest lesson of 
team sports when you're a kid coming up through is going through a failure, right? surviving it and rising above it right. and coming back. And if you take that away, that accomplishment over failure, right? if you take that away from kids through intimidation, whether it be parents' expectations or coaches' expectations, right. that does a lot of damage. It's one of the best lessons about being in a team sport or being in a sport as a kid. Right. You can fail and get back the next day. It's fine. World doesn't end. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and so, I, of course, I have that conversation with parents and kids all the time. It, I'm, it's probably at least five or six times a month, you know, that literally a kid will be horseback riding and will fall or something will happen and they don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Or, you know, there's a, you know, you know how soccer teams have ABC teams. That's literally getting back on the horse. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. it, it, well, that's why I use it. Cause yeah. you know, <laughs> and I have a, I have a client that has that. She got thrown and she was like, I'm done. I'm like, you're not done yeah. you're getting back up because this is part of that sport, you yeah. know, or the soccer teams, like, you know, I've got some kids that, you know, have the ABT, B or C team. And so they're young and impressionable as children. And the, there's a, there's a parent or two, for instance, that, you know, they're not satisfied with the fact that their kid's on the C team, but they know if they jump over to this other town or club team, yeah. their kid will be at a higher level and therefore they'll, it will, you know, so they're, they're, and they'll tell the kid, you know, this young person, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, like, oh, well, you know, they're not playing you and they're not good enough and you should move over here. Like, because their expectation yeah. is setting up the kid. This is lifelong. These are all things that are messages that are coming through that are shaping a a, a, a the potential of the adult to become the thinking person, which is going to happen about their thoughts that yeah. are going to then shape their whole emotional experience around what is failure? How do I recover from failure? Is there recovery from failure? I mean, most of those times it's like, if you fail, you're done. Yep. You know, yep. it's, it's the death of self. Mm -hmm. And that is so unfortunate because that happens so often and kids get so damaged, especially in the authoritarian mindset of parenting because they, um, they can't get out from underneath it. And it's happens to every athlete as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I hit my wall in every sport. Right. right. And, and what, 99.7% of people hit their wall at some point right. of the level they, that they top out at. And that can be a devastating death of self, but not if that's, you know, well, and that's I, I think, exactly the lesson. It's not a death of self. Well, and so to that point, expectations don't have to match the accomplishment. Right. right. And so, I, and, you know, that is probably one of the. How about the expectation is you go as far as you can go. Play as long as you enjoy it. I think as, Work long, as, as long as you can. Well, I think as I think you go as long as you can go. As long as you have good. I want to say coaching. If you have good coaching or good mentoring or good guidance behind that, because a lot of kids don't have that. A lot of people or a lot of people, even adults, like even I'm thinking like I have like all these pro athletes, right? They go as far as they can go they go even further with their go as far as they can go because they have mentors. They have people that are, are doing what I do, which is alternate thoughts, alternate ways of doing things, making it come around a different way, seeing how to make it happen because we can do this versus that. Um, I'm, I'm going to read a comment for a second. Um, from Joe, there are so many youth coaches that have huge egos and put pressure on the kids. Yes. Yep. And that's, and that's the, that's the expectation. Sure. And so, um, 
and that and that's in I think every sport I've ever yeah. ever gone in and done consulting and that I have coaches and I'll use my sport, you know, not running, but my other sport, gymnastics. Gymnastics, unfortunately, is notorious yeah. for being, first of all, it's a punitive sport. You start from a deficit, you earn points, you're all, it's, it's criticism, negativity. It's not like sandwich technique feedback. It's and coaches' egos because their their lives a lot of times are depending on the performance of their athletes to right. be able to keep their jobs, especially at the college level, right? Because yeah. you have to produce at a college level. You are creating um, their identity, right? So, yeah. you, so you have um, you have to feed the ego, or as I was saying earlier, that's the inner child of the adult coach. You're feeding their ego, their reality that you are an extension of them. And therefore, if you're doing well, they are great. Right. If you're not doing well, and this is a psychological phenomenon, then it's not their fault. It's you. Yep. So they, they connect in with you that, Oh, yay, we are doing well. If you're not doing well, then we aren't doing, it's not, we aren't, it's you, you aren't. aren't doing well. Yeah. And so the expectation should be like, if we're doing well, then we're doing well. And if we're not doing well, we're not doing well. But a lot of coaches don't do that to Joe's point. It's the, the ego gets in the way and really puts the pressure on them. Even if it's not said, it's this subtle insidious underlying message of, you know, go out and run your best or go out and do the best routine you can, you know, but I have this, I expect this from you. And if you fail, then we'll go like, well, what we used to have is like, if we didn't do well at a meet, which was some random selected <laughs> score or whatever, yep. which by the way, gymnastics and ice skating, all subjective, right? Yep, so right, we don't right. have control over that. It's not like you score a goal and it's obvious. Right. So if we were set with a coach who had an ego, which most of them did when I was coming up through, they have this thing and you didn't measure up. You were in the gym on Sunday for five hours doing drills. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say in your sport, it couldn't have been too subtle too often. <laughs> I right. don't well, think there was any my, subtlety my to sport, it. I had, yeah. I had, I was, I will say, I, I was around a, 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 quite a few coaches that were not subtle. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Which, you know, and you can't, and now in, in my initial sport, you can't get away with that as much anymore, at least in this country. Yeah. I'm not sure about. But as so often happens, comparing sports to life, that's kind of the way it works with parents too. And, right. And that upbringing that they're living vicariously through you. I mean, right. we see it in athletics all the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Well, you see that that's why I use the example of like the academic going to college. You know, we, we all went to college. So we expect you to go to college. We're all lawyers. So we want you to be a lawyer, yeah. you know, um, my I son had, went to Brown, you know, it's like, right. Yeah. Everybody should. Right. Right. It's, it's not about right their best experience. His, I have a client whose whose family, family members have kids and they, they've told the kids, by the way, the kids are eight and 10. They've told the kids right now, get ready for this, <laughs> that they will not be paying for their college. They're telling this at A10 if they decide to go into anything but science and engineering. Oh my God. Really? Yep. Wow. This is what that's that's that authoritarian high expectation. And you know, like what if they want to be an artist? What if they want to be a historian? What if they want to be nope, not, not acceptable. They can go to college for anything they want, but they're not paying for it. Not everyone's fit to be an engineer. Oh, and that's not the happiest life for everybody. And what, well, and it's it's totally against the whole temperament thing of meeting kids where they're at. Like you know, back in the fifties and sixties, in early seventies, really, it was about the psychology. There was no real psychology. People just did whatever they did with their kids. It was, you know, 
the kids had to pull in to meet the parent where they were at. Yep. We don't ascribe to that at all anymore in child psych and in clinical psych. It's you meet your kid where they're at. You cannot expect them, you know, can't expect them to be an adult at five while you're talking to them big words and big sentences and yep. they aren't listening to you anymore. And then you get mad at them because they have no idea what you said after the first sentence because it had 14 big words in it. But that's the ego of parenting right. where the outcomes determine who you are. Right. Right. So my right. kid's going to be an engineer or, right. you know, or it's got to be what I expect them. They've got to reach my ex expectations. We're back to expectations. Right. Did you ever see the movie um, with Steve Martin and Rick Moranis, Parenthood? That's a great example. Yeah. Like Rick Moranis is, you know, they're the, you know, the dueling personalities of parenting, right? Parenting that Rick Moranis, if you guys have never seen the movie, it's an older movie now, yeah. but go out and watch it because it's a great example of the fact that Rick Moranis is like, they're like teaching his kids every language, math, flashcards. They're going to be a, you know, a, a musician, like everything. And whereas Steve Martin's kids are, you know, running around going, you know, running their heads in buckets into walls and yeah, yeah. the little girls being like, daddy, I want to throw up. And he says, okay. And she throws up all over him right then. Or the little kid, his little son, which is the whole movie's based around his relationship with where he's out on the baseball field and the kid's so anxious. And Steve Martin's like, you got this because he's supportive and whatever. And finally the kid gets the hit and it's like, yeah. yes. But in the meantime, the rest of the crew in the movie come around to seeing that, Oh, this is a better way. I mean, that's a movie yep. and it's, but yes, it's a great example of how, so that's called authoritative parenting, which is high end expectation. That's reasonable for the age of the child and always giving yep. warmth. Now that does not mean cheerleading everything. If there's something bad, it means that if something isn't great and the child did well or tried you say you did a great effort and next time we can work on this. Yep. Like you're giving them feedback and it's not just, Oh my God, you know, I, uh, I have to correct so many parents to be quiet at games or no <laughs> notes speaking about the outcome of the game or their play in the car ride home. Yeah. Um, that's one of the biggest changes I make in, in athletes lives is because they'll get in the car with a parent and the parents like, Oh my God, I can't believe you did this. Yeah. And I can't believe, you know, they berate them. Yeah. And so now we're right back to why, why can't you say, why can't you have a conversation? Why can't it be, you know, this was really good. And it, did you feel like it was off today? Like what was yeah. going on? You know, like you have a conversation, not just, wow, you sucked, <laughs> which is what people do. But parents have that ego that they think they determine the outcome for the kid completely. Right. And they have far less control over the outcome of the kid than they think they do. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's just like, and by outcome, I mean their personality, their approach, their view on life, because your kids are different that just because they're yours doesn't mean they think like you. Right. Well, and also, well, cause you were talking about the outcome. I always laugh to myself because the years ago, and I've said this before years ago, Cambridge mass, they went to all silent soccer games because the parents got in trouble. Yeah. I was back in my early days in my career, like, Ooh, we're going to silent games because what, it was about expectation. Parents think that they control by screaming from the sidelines, doing something, and all it does is stress the kids out. It's so out of control, and it's kind of like people, I'll, I'll just out her. My friend Kristen will stand in front of the TV during a Bruins game and scream <laughs> bloody murder. Yeah. And I'm like, they can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> 
And when we're at the game, she's doing that too. And I'm like, they can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to change their play. But they're pro athletes. You don't do right. that to a six-year-old. Right. Right. Or right. An but, they, but people do. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Which is why Cambridge went silent for a long time. Because that's if, crazy too. But that's people on the sidelines couldn't yeah. keep their mouth shut. Yeah. They were out. And the whole no score thing is crazy too. But <laughs> so, um, so what's your takeaway today, Lou, from my suffering talk? I think we're back. It's great because it's such a core issue because this is your, your um, personality traits that lead you into suffering are a huge hurdle for you. It's just if you can start to control those a little bit, your whole mindset is a lot better. It's Again, it's about understanding you control your outcomes way more than you think you do. Right. And I, and I think that's a really such a poignant statement is you do control your outcomes more than you think you do. And when you let go of control of that, and you'll feel out of control, if you actually can see it for where you actually have control of your own responsibility and accountability for how things fall out, even if they're fails, it's an opportunity for something new because you've learned, or if you don't learn from it, then something's wrong. Yeah. Right? To me, who was the guy? I forget who was the guy who wrote The Untethered Soul. Oh, I love that book. You hate that book. I don't hate it. No, I don't. I thought you hated that book. I love it. That no, my ex bought it for the kids one Christmas, and I had to understand what was going on. I didn't really like the book, but I got into him. What was his name? Michael Singer. Right? Yes. Yeah. And I got into him a little bit, and I found these talks he did at Berkeley. They were like yep. an hour and a half long. And it's like, those really hit home for me. Those hit home for me big time. It was so much better well, than the book, well, I Michael, thought. Michael Singer is amazing. Yeah, it was and great. And I think he's a great writer. And I love Untethered Soul. I think that's a fantastic book. And basically the metaphor he used in those talks was about when things start to go wrong in your life, you, ju hump in the you jump in the backseat of the car. Right. No, you keep your hands on the wheel because yeah, you, right. have, you control the outcome. Right. Right. So many people have given up control of the outcomes because this is all happening to me. But people, that's the way they approach life. Taught yeah. from that's where the environment of you of early zero to six years old they're taught that they don't have control because they watch the models in their lives you know mom dad grandma grandpa uncle aunt whoever's there they watch the models let go of control and be like it's not me it's not me i mean i have i, I mean i have at least one striking example in my practice that i've had for years where nothing's ever her fault nothing's it's all the world around her she's mm -hmm. suing everybody she's gonna write letters it's yeah. all this way and it's like you're and i i always say to her your life is not being enriched with your constant being in stress that every week we're gonna sue someone every week somebody's done something to you um the world is uh, you know a, you know egregiously going against you like it's mm -hmm. always that way and it has moved because i've been with her a long time it has moved a little bit but we still have that sort of underlying personality character logical piece that ends yeah. up being there because it won't move which is why and i didn't know this i'm processing this as i come around which is why i always felt that the first parenting lesson the very first parenting lesson from almost day one actions have consequences and not always negative that doesn't mean always punishing the kids for something that means right. your positive actions have positive consequences your negative actions have negative consequences your outcomes are the results of what you've done in the past not what's happened to you now right it's what led you to that point right 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 unless you keep repeating them unless you keep repeating them. right well and and i think i think that and i i'm a proponent of of getting parents on board with natural consequences yeah that instead of imposing unless you have to imposing some really crazy you know grounding or punishment 
you know, there's natural consequences to, you know, I have a kid that ended up for the 50th time. I don't think it's 50, but a lot. He breaks his phone and cracks it and whatever. And so he's of the age now where mom, who's the authoritative parent, the one that's the secure and healthy, is like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I'm done fixing it. Yep. You'll have to come up with the money to pay for it. He doesn't want to because he doesn't feel he should have to pay his money to fix it. And she's like, I'm not helping you. But dad, who's supposed to be on board with this, dad always feels bad for him yeah, because yeah. he has some mental health issues, the kid. But not that extreme that, he, right. you know, so dad bypassed mom and made an appointment to fix the phone. I mean, make them live with the crack phone for six weeks or, or a couple of months right. or something. Right, yeah. well, because it has to be, the suffering has to become great enough for the person to learn on their own how to move it. Right. And so, therefore, if someone's always fixing the problem for you, you know. My bedtime. Kind of like my example two weeks ago. If you're putting someone in the little red cart and they're constantly being dragged behind you and you're doing all the work, there's no reason for them to do it. My bedtime battle with the kids came down to, you can stay up if you want but you're going to school tomorrow and they live like 40 minutes away from the district because their mom taught there. Right. But it's like, you can stay up if you want, but no, I'm tired in the morning. You're going to school. Right. And then a couple of mornings of really tight. I should get to bed earlier. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. They figure right. it out and themselves. It, and it's such a, it's such a travesty. And I use that word specifically. It is such a travesty when you have kids that in this, and you have kids overrun the family because they've trained the parents how to treat them, which yep. is, I'm going to keep pushing the envelope and finally the parents can't take it anymore. So they just give in. And now, you know, now you've got 28 days of school missing and the truancy officer is calling you because, you know, yeah. the parent hasn't just wanted to do their job. And by the way, how do you, the basic responsibility of you got to go to school. Right. I mean, it's a basic responsibility that all kids can handle from age six onward. Right. And it's, right. if you don't have that foundation, if they don't, can't even meet that expectations, what hope do you have going forward? Right. Right. I, it's like, no, it's just the way it is. You got to go to school. Well, it's an expectation yeah. that's set socially mm -hmm. that needs to be there. And I do have kids where I've said, you know, you're 16 in the state of Massachusetts. You can certainly drop out, but you have to understand what that comes with that. And there's some natural consequences that come with that. And once I explore them, 99% of the time, kids, are they snap back in and go, oh. Yeah. But because I go right down the line of the all the negatives. It's like, you're going to, you will have to get a GED at some point, if you, mm -hmm. if you have enough ability yeah. to do that at that point, cause you're usually a sophomore, maybe a junior, and then you're going to, which is fine. And then you might have to get disability because you have no other experience. You have nothing else working for you because you don't have a diploma yet or whatever yeah. you, I mean, what are you going to do? Sit home and play video games all day. Right. And if yeah. you, and typically parents that are in these cases, they're not setting rules and regulations at home that the person has to go out and now have a job and have all these things. It's just more of the same, but now the kid's not in school. Right. Yeah. Right. Before I came in here today, I was having a conversation with someone that's sending me, referring me a client um, who is stuck in that, they have, they're on, they're on the spectrum and they're stuck in that space of, of, you know, they have to learn the skills at, at a little bit older age to be able to function in life. And it's scary, but if not, they're going to end up like a lot of people who yep. have been misdiagnosed without being socially skilled, trained and high functioning, brilliant, but can't socially connect. They're going to end up at 30, 35 in their own apartment on disability and with their cat or dog and having like a vocational job that's like for people that really are disabled and like they could have done so much more. Yeah. 
So expectations. So expectations, remember, expectations are the leader of our, the thoughts and the thoughts and expectations are our leader of our suffering. And if we have healthy thoughts and we keep moving them with alternatives and they're rational, realistic and reasonable, our expectations will be appropriate to the situation and match and we won't be in the should mode, we'll be in the moment. And then things would work out probably better for people. And that will lessen your suffering. That's right. It's a great thought. So we have to practice it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you all for listening this week. And it's going to be June. We're into summer. Well, tomorrow here, 90. <laughs> and um, so everyone have a great weekend. Rocky just left the room. <laughs> He's in here. And, and I will see you all back here next week. Oh,